0: with me this morning, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're a first-timer with us this morning, let me give you a word of assurance. We're not always this emotional. I was thinking, you know, if I was the first time (laughs) visiting this church, I don't know if I'd want to come back. But we do want you to come back, and I can promise you normally we're a little bit more normal than we've been this morning. So uh, join us this evening if you'd. I'd like to be in God's Word again. We're gonna be in Ephesians chapter one this evening. There we discover some of the great blessings that God has given to his people, but we'll also this evening be recognizing some of our staff members for their faithful service here at Colonial over many years and beginning the service this evening with Believer's Baptism. We've opened our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When my father was in high school, He heard Christians talking about something that they called the rapture. They said that the Bible predicts a day in which true Christians will suddenly be seized without warning, drawn up into the heaven to be with God, and then after that, there will be terrible atrocities that will come upon the earth. In fact, the earth will be plagued with a time called the tribulation. Now, my father was not yet saved. And the thought of being left behind and suffering under the rulership of the Antichrist seized him with a measure of fear, And the fear that he felt as he thought about those things actually began the stirring in his heart that would bring him to salvation. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse two says, "Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. After my father came to know the blessing of salvation. He thought back how the Spirit of God had used that thought about the rapture and being left behind, and he wrote these words. In seeking my soul to save, many things did the Lord employ, a look at death and eternity's shore. Such things were meant to annoy. I'm praying the Holy Spirit this morning will bring a convictional annoyance to some who've come into this service. We're about to talk about the rapture of the church. And yes, there will be those who will be left behind. We'd like to work this morning in God's Word to place the rapture in the prophetic puzzle. And so we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. The Word of God says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look in his word. Father, give us wisdom and help us to look up, and realize that our redemption draws nigh. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we go through life's trials and joys and forget to be looking over our shoulder or up into the air. For, Lord, you've instructed us to be living in light of your coming. So may we be encouraged to do so this morning, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. I walked into an attorney's office back in 2020. At that time, the news of this coronavirus was just beginning to circle the globe. It had not yet been pronounced a pandemic. And as I met with the attorney that day, the attorney said, hey, do you think that we're looking at the beginning of the end? You think that what we're reading about has anything to do with biblical prophecy. I have found that such questions have become increasingly more common. After all, we're hearing of wars and rumors of wars. We're seeing things happening in the epicenter of biblical prophecy in Jerusalem and the Middle East. And so there's a question that I've actually been asked, and asked more than a few times of late. I've been asked, what does the Bible have to say about the rapture? So this morning, I'd like to try to answer that question publicly as we seek to place the rapture within the prophetic puzzle. Were we to put on our sandals and go back in time 2,000 years and listen in as the apostles were teaching the early church, we would hear them speaking often about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that because every author of the New Testament speaks about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, Matthew speaks of the Lord sharing a parable of the ten virgins. In verse 13, as Jesus shares that parable, Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. In Mark chapter 13, the Lord shares a parable about a journeyman. And the Lord says in the gospel of Mark, Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing, or even in the morning. In Luke, the 12th chapter, Jesus speaks about servants needing to be ready and waiting for the master's return. And he says, Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour that you think not. In the Gospel of John, we hear those wonderful words of promise. And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus says, I will come again and bring you unto myself that where I am, There you may be also. The Acts of the apostles begins with the words of the angels in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall likewise come again even as you've seen him go up into heaven. The apostle Paul picks up on the theme of the return of Jesus frequently in the books that he writes. In the letter to the Corinthians, the apostle Paul says in chapter 1, His desire is that they would come behind in no gift as they wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians, he speaks to the church at Colossae in chapter three and verse four, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. As he writes to young Titus, the pastor of the church at Crete, he shares a verse that adorns my parents' headstone, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the New Testament authors speak of the return of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 37, the author of the book of Hebrews says, Be ye also patient for the coming of the Lord. He says, For yet a little while, rather, and shall, he shall come. James is the one who says, Be also patient for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Peter challenges his readers with these words, that you be found in praise and honor and glory, when? At the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle John, who says in 1 John 2 and verse 28, abide in him, that when he shall appear, you may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And Jude, in that short book written by the half-brother of the Savior through the power of inspiration, the 14th verse says, behold, the Lord cometh. Now, the book of the Revelation is not to be left out. The book of the Revelation begins with the promise of Christ coming and ends with the promise of Christ coming. Revelation 1 and verse 7, the beginning, behold, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him and also they which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And how does the book of the Revelation end? Revelation 22 and verse 20, Jesus says, behold, I come Quickly. There are many, many more promises of the coming of Christ that are found in the pages of the New Testament. So many that we don't have time to read them all this morning. But the promises of the Lord's return are so well known that they've been echoed throughout the ages. Chrysostom, the great church father from Antioch, who died in 407 AD, said in the first advent, God veiled his divinity to prove prove him faithful. In the second advent, he will manifest his glory to reward their faith. Augustine, who died in 430 AD, says, He who loves the coming of the Lord is not he who affirms it afar off, nor is he that says it's near. It's he who, whether it be near or far, awaits it with sincere faith, steadfast hope, and fervent love. John Calvin who passed in 1564, we must hunger after Christ until the dawning of that great day when our Lord will fully manifest the glory of his kingdom. John Knox, who passed in 1572, has not our Lord Jesus carried up our flesh into heaven, and shall he not return? We know that he shall return. John Wesley, who passed in 1791, the spirit in the heart of the true believer says with earnest desire, come, Lord Jesus, D.L. Moody, who went home to be with the Lord in 1899, said, I never preach a sermon without thinking that possibly the Lord may come before I preach another. Charles Spurgeon, who went to the Lord in 1892, said the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again is not a reason for stargazing, but for working in the power of the Holy Ghost. Hudson Taylor, that great missionary, said, since he may come any day, it's well for us to be ready every day. Now, in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist and the Tribulation. We're going to be talking about the Tribulational Trinity, and we're going to be talking about Armageddon and the Millennium and other themes that we need to address as we fill our hearts with all things that the Bible says with regard to biblical prophecy. But folks, there's no more important eschatological truth than the prophetic truth that we declare this morning, and that is the rapture. And we need to be asking the question this morning, so where do we place the rapture in the prophetic puzzle? Later this morning, you're going to see a chart that will be here on the PowerPoint. When that chart appears, you're going to notice that we're going to separate the rapture from the second coming of the Lord in this way. At the rapture, the Lord comes in the air. At the return of the Lord, the Lord Jesus' foot, according to Zechariah 14, will stand on the Mount of Olives. He's coming in the air for believers. Then, seven years later, I believe he's coming to earth to rule and to reign with a rod of righteousness. And those seven years in between are seven years that need to be feared. We begin by asking a question this morning So, what exactly is the rapture? If you've come into this service this morning and you've not heard this word before, And you are looking in an index of the Bible or concordance, you're going to find yourself frustrated. The word rapture is not a New Testament word. You won't find the word rapture in the New Testament. You won't find the word Trinity and you won't find the word missions either. But it's a good word. So let's provide a definition for the word rapture and find our definition here in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. The word rapture, of course, comes from a Latin word, which means, or the Latin word, rather, is rapturo. It means to seize or to snatch or to grab. Here in verse 51 of 1 Corinthians 15, we read, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The idea of being caught up, that idea is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17 where the Word of God tells us that there's a trumpet that's going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, rapturo, rapture. Here in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51, we discover that the rapture is a sacred mystery. What do you mean, Pastor Phelps? Behold, I show you a mystery, verse 51. Now, a biblical mystery is not something that we can't understand. It's not even something that can't be easily explained. A biblical mystery is something that was once unknown. And now, in the progress of Revelation, God has revealed this mystery to us. So you're not going to find the rapture in the Old Testament. Moses didn't know anything about the rapture. Daniel, who knew much about prophetic themes, knew nothing about the rapture. The Apostle Paul has been inspired by the Spirit of God to reveal a mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery, he says. This is a sacred mystery. In fact, the Spirit of God wants us to look carefully at it. Behold, look, I'm showing you a mystery, something that others didn't know, but you can know now. And what is that mystery? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Here it is. Not everyone's going to die, but everybody is going to be changed. The rapture is not only a sacred mystery, but the rapture is a truth that's given to a select multitude. I've circled the personal pronoun in verse 51 and verse 52. This personal pronoun, we. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. At the end of verse 52, we shall be changed. To whom is the Apostle Paul writing? Look up at verse 50. Now, this I say brethren. He's writing to believers. We includes only believers. This is a select multitude who will be involved in the rapture. Just as Enoch and Elijah in the Old Testament went to heaven without passing through the veil of death, even so the Bible is here telling us about believers who are going to be taken straight to heaven. Now, death, for the believer and then the resurrection after the death of the believer is the norm for the vast majority. But this passage talks about a selected multitude who won't have to go through death. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. The songwriter says, caught up in the clouds with the Lord into glory. when he will receive his own. When we talk about a definition, we're simply talking about a day that's promised in God's Word in which living believers will be changed, gathered up into glory without having passed through the valley of death. And this passage actually describes that event for us. In verse 52, the Spirit of God writes, it's going to happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. The Bible is here describing for us the suddenness of the rapture. It happens in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. This word moment is the Greek word atomos. We get our word atom. It's the most infinitesimally small particle of time, such as cannot be divided. He wants us to know that this is going to happen very, very suddenly. It's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. Now, scientists tell us that we blink our eyes 21,200 times every day. 21,200 times a day, that means our eyes blink about every three seconds. But this isn't talking about the blinking of an eye. This is talking about the twinkling of an eye. That's the time taken for light to be refracted off the person's eye so that you're seeing it. That's a very, very short period, an incalculably short period of time. The Bible here is describing the sounds of the rapture. It says in verse 52 that there will be the last trump that will sound. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. It's true, we're not really looking for signs, we're listening for sounds. There's a trump. There's the voice of the archangel, and there's the 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 trump of uh, there's a shout rather the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and as we look at the sights that are being described in this passage, he says the dead shall be raised, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So when we ask the question, what's the rapture? It's the revelation that's given here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and elsewhere in the New Testament that we will not all die, but will all be changed. And if we ask the question, so, so why is this? Well, verse 50 gives the answer to that. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50, this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. In other words, Natural bodies are not suited for heavenly places. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Your natural sin-cursed body is not prepared to walk the golden streets. And so in preparation for walking those golden streets, our bodies are going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Philippians chapter 3 says it this way in Philippians 3 and verse 20. Our citizenship to the believer is in heaven From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body and fashion it like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we've discovered in this passage that the rapture is a sacred mystery for a select multitude of born-again believers who will suddenly… Have their bodies changed and prepared for walking on streets of gold. Can you imagine? Millions will suddenly vanish. Poof. People will be in mid-sentence, and the sentence on earth will never be concluded. People will be on their phones, and their phones will drop from their hands. Hallelujah. (laughs) Chopsticks. Silverware napkins. I can imagine a soccer player making the perfect cross for the first time in his life to that striker who's streaking toward the goal. And as he makes that cross, he's not there to watch whether a goal was made or not. Boom, we're gone. And church auditoriums will be emptied, except for a few who may be left behind. There are many questions that need to be answered when we consider the rapture. The first question that we've asked is, what is the rapture? We need to ask also, well, who will participate in the rapture, Pastor Phelps? Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the longest, most detailed revelation about the rapture to be found anywhere in the New Testament. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians They are grieving and confused. They know the promise of the Lord's return, but their their loved ones, their family members, their fellow church members have died. Are they going to miss the return of Jesus? So the Apostle Paul, through the power of the inspiration of the Spirit, writes to them in the 13th verse, and he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which sleep. How affectionately and how graciously the Spirit of God addresses the reality of death. Concerning them with sleep, the Greek word sleep in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13 is koimea. Koimea means to sleep. It became such a precious word to the early Christians that when they buried their dead, they buried their dead, their dead people in the koimitarians. We've come to know our word in English, cemetery, from that root. Cemetery means the place of the sleeping ones. Now, let's not be confused. There are those, for instance, the Adventists, the Advent Fellowship or the Advent Church and the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The Adventists believe in something called soul sleep, and they base it on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. I would not have you be ignorant concerning them which sleep, those that are asleep the Bible doesn't teach a soul sleep. The sleep that's being spoken of here is the sleep of the body. The Bible teaches that death is the separation of the spirit from the body, and the spirit is certainly not asleep. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8 says, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. The Apostle Paul is going to say in Philippians chapter 1 that it's better to be absent and to be present with the Lord. So at death, The soul slips away into heaven and Revelation chapter 6, actually pictures people who have died on earth whose bodies have not yet been resurrected. They died during a time called the tribulation. They are very much alive and very much alert and very much aware of what's going on. Even so today, if your loved one has parted from you and is in heaven, they're very much alive and very much alert in heavenly places. At death, the soul you see slips away, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 helps us understand something of the rapture. For we read in verse 16 that the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. When we ask who will participate in the rapture, well, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. As we continue in verse 16, we read of the voice of the archangel. Now, there's only one archangel named in the Bible. His name is Michael. Michael. And so, the archangel participates in the rapture of the church. And then we read this, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ will participate in the rapture. And finally, in verse 17, these words, then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will be caught up, there's that word rapturo in Latin, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Don't you love the song that says there's going to be a meeting in the air and the sweet, sweet by and by? I'm going to meet you, meet you over there in the land beyond the sky. Such singing we will hear, never heard by mortal ear. It will be glorious, I do declare. And God's own Son will be the leading one at that meeting in the air. Who's going to be there? Well, Jesus Christ is going to be there. The archangels participating. The dead in Christ are participating. And Those who are alive and remain are participating. Some people have said, I don't want to miss the rapture. Friend, you're not going to miss the rapture. If you're a believer, whether you're in the grave or whether you're in your body, you're going to be part of it. None of us are going to miss the rapture if we're truly saved. It's the catching away of the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, those who believe in Him, depend on Him, have known His forgiveness of sin, His bride gathered together into heavenly places. But friends, there will be those who will not participate in the rapture. After all, this passage says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then there's that personal pronoun again. Then we, which are alive and remain. And to whom is he writing? I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, verse 13. The brethren who are believers need not fear the rapture. They're going to be caught up in it. Electromagnets can be made so strong that they can cruise over yards filled with iron and suddenly extract that iron by the gravitational pull of that magnet so that the iron and the cobalt and the nickel can be lifted out. But left behind, the aluminum and the copper and the zinc, they don't have the magnetic properties that are necessary. Folks, one day Jesus is going to catch away the church. And when he catches away the church, it won't matter about gravity and it won't matter about the grave. We're all going to be ascending up. And the question that needs to be asked this morning, will you be caught up in the rapture? Well, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, you will. We've asked two questions. What is the rapture? Who will participate in the the rapture? But here's the question everybody's dying to know the answer to. When will the rapture happen? When will the rapture take place? Now, students of Scripture look at current events and recognize that many things are happening right now, That we certainly see in the Bible. After all, Jesus spoke of wars and rumors of wars. He spoke of famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. We're seeing a continuing clamoring for a one-world government and a one-world economy. Can't we all just get along? We're seeing things that we know to be indicators of the nearness of the coming of Jesus Christ. We have recently seen all eyes on the epicenter of biblical prophecy Jerusalem, and the people of God in God's Word, the people of Israel. People are asking me all the time, pastor, do you think this is it? So here's my answer. The time of the rapture is known only by God. The time of the rapture is known only by God. Jesus makes it very clear when he says in Matthew 24 and verse 36, but of the day and the hour knoweth no man, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Again, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 44, Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Now, there are many people who try to set dates. I know that every fall people start looking at the Feast of Trumpets and lining things up. And I appreciate our careful look toward the heavens, because after all, when we're looking for the coming of Christ, we're obeying His command. We're to be looking for Him to come. And when we're not looking for Him to come, we're living in sin. We need to be looking for his coming. But so many prognosticators have been wrong, we don't want to join their crowd. In fact, I heard someone say, if I were God and a fortune teller actually set the right date for the rapture, I'd change the date just so that person would be wrong. (laughs) I understand that sentiment. But pastor, don't you believe in looking for the signs? Absolutely, I believe in looking for the signs. I'm seeing signs right now of the Lord's coming that are spectacular. But I've come to understand that I'm not always that equipped to understand all the signs that I see. You're the same way. If you go into the mall at Christmas time, or rather to see Christmas ornaments coming up and Christmas trees, and your mind says, oh, look, they're decorating for Christmas. It must be Christmas time. No, no, that, you're wrong. It's Thanksgiving. That same thing happens to us when we start lining up the signs. But this I do believe. I believe that the time of the rapture is before the tribulation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 proceeds, it's not that complicated, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the 16th verse, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. This is clearly the rapture. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the, to meet Him in the air, rather, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Look how he ends the chapter in the 18th verse. Wherefore, comfort one another. Oh, the the rapture, and the theme of the rapture, and the resurrection of believers who have gone on before us, this is a comfortable truth, but chapter 5 comes next chapter 5 is not a comfortable truth. You see, the rapture comes before a time called the tribulation. And after the tribulation, there's a time that we know of as the Lord's return or second coming. In the rapture, He's coming in the air. We're going up to meet Him in the air. At the second coming, His foot will stand upon the Mount of Olives, according to Zechariah chapter 14. At the rapture, the church is being called up. Then the tribulation. So now we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which comes after 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And by now, we've learned that personal pronouns are really important when we're reading prophetic truths. So let's read this passage with those pronouns in mind. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now watch it. The personal pronoun's about to change. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now he goes back. But ye, brethren, you're not in the darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're the children of light, the children of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness. Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now circle verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, there are some who say, I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. I joined that group. I believe that the rapture happens before the tribulation begins. There are others who say, I believe in a pre-wrath or a mid-tribulational rapture, which means they believe that some go into the first part of the tribulation and the rapture happens in the middle or somewhere near the middle. There are others yet who say, I believe in a post-tribulational rapture, believing that the church will go through the tribulation, living on earth under the awful tyranny of the Antichrist. What a dreadful thought that is. Titus chapter 2 commissions us with these words. Again, it's the words on my parents' headstone, looking for that blessed hope. Now, folks, I'm simple-minded in some ways, but I've got to tell you, if I'm looking for the tribulation, that is not a blessed hope. Looking for the blessed hope, that's the rapture. Titus 2 and verse 13, and the glorious appearing. Of the great God and our Savior. That's the return of Christ. I'm looking for the blessed hope. Some are saying, well, Pastor Phelps, how can you be so sure about that? Well, we've already looked at the order and the sequence of 1 Thessalonians 4. The rapture comes before the time of tribulation, when they're seized upon like a woman with child, when that time comes like a thief in the night, when we who love the Lord are not appointed unto wrath but have obtained that salvation his promise. But if you want one more passage, let's go just quickly to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul writes to a group that is fearing that they've missed the rapture, that they've been left behind. So he says to them in verse 3, now let no man deceive you by any means. That day will not come except there come a falling away first. No time to get into all the ramifications of this. But let's skip forward in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 to verse 7. Paul says, Now the mystery of iniquity doth already work. In other words, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. There is a cosmic spiritual battle going on, and if you can't see it, you're not watching. There's a cosmic spiritual battle between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. It's going on even now. The mystery of iniquity is already at work, verse 7. Only he who now lets or withholds will withhold until he be taken out of the way. Who can hold back iniquity? Only the Spirit of God can hold back iniquity. And where is the Spirit of God today? Well, praise the Lord, if you know your Bible, Acts chapter 2 tells us that on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came to dwell within the church. What, don't you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says in verse 19, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost who's in you? The Holy Spirit in a unique and powerful and wonderful way inhabits every believer, every true believer. The Spirit of God comes to reside in our bodies. And we have a commission to be the light and the salt of this age. And so we read in this passage, the one who is withholding will continue to withhold until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with power and signs and lying wonders. Who's this wicked, verse 8? He's literally the wicked one. He's the Antichrist. When will the Antichrist come? Okay, follow with me. He comes when the one who's withholding is taken out of the way. Friend, there's a day coming called the rapture in which the church embodying the spirit of God is taken out of the way and then the wicked one is revealed. Who's that wicked one? Well, we'll learn about him. He's the Antichrist and God promises to consume him with the brightness of his final coming. The spirit of God lives within the believer today. So we don't need to fear the rapture. We need to look forward to it. But there's a time coming when the church is raptured away, that the Bible describes in very, very specific details, seven years of death and destruction, seven years of tragedy. And after those seven years, then comes a great resurrection, listen, of the lost. The book of the Revelation says in chapter 20, and I saw the great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the heaven and earth fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were open. Another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things that are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. It's been often said if you're only born once, You need to fear because you could die twice, natural death and spiritual death. But if you've been born twice, you only need to fear dying once, and some, praise the Lord, are not even going to die once. If you've only been born once and you die twice, friend, you'll wish you'd never been born at all, because the Spirit of God speaks to us in His Word of this terrible place of torment called the lake of fire. Let's ask one last question quickly this morning. So where will the rapture take place? Come back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's end this way this morning. Where will the rapture take place? There are a few important words in verse 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. It says, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And I always love to reference this passage and circle that word air And I have a cross reference in my Bible to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, because in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, there's one who rules today who's called the prince of the power of the air. And when the rapture comes place, we're going to be gathered together with the glorious church in the air. Yes, there's going to be a meeting, a meeting in the air, in the sweet, sweet by and by. Now, I love the fact that the Spirit of God says we're going to meet him in the air because it's almost like we're saying na-na-na-na-na-na to the devil who's been the ruler of darkness for so long. We've been talking about the rapture this morning, and we need to be very clear. The rapture is for the church. It's for the believer. It's for the saved. There might be someone in this room this morning who says, Pastor Phelps, you know what? It just sounds to me like you're, you're talking in fairy tales. This stuff is so sensational. It, it, it's mind-boggling. Can I tell you that the Spirit of God actually says there's a reason why some people think of these things as fairy tales? Look at First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. It begins, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Friend, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, the rapture is not a problem. If you believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, the first fruits has already come, then the rapture is certainly not a problem. And since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which believe in Jesus will God bring with him. But there are some who will say, well, why has he waited so long? Why all these years? And why are such desperately difficult things happening on the earth right now? We talk about a good God. There's a reason he's waited this long. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He tarries His coming for you this morning if you've not come to Christ as Savior, so that you will accept Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose again, who died that you might have forgiveness of sins and that you can take part in the rapture, so that you can have a, a new body and step out on streets of gold and have fellowship with God. He died to bring you to the Father if you'll trust in Him and accept Him as your Savior. When my father first heard about the rapture, it caused his heart to really be frightened. Nobody was home. He'd heard about the rapture. Had he been left behind? But after he came to know the Lord as Savior, there wasn't a day that he ever lived that he didn't look forward to the rapture. Because he knew it would be far better to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Dear friend, today... Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? If so, may God help us to look forward to the rapture. Let's stand together, please, as we pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and no one looking around. In a moment, the instruments are going to play the song, It may be at morn when the day is awakening. Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long? It may be at morn. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed and no one looking around or moving around this morning in the quietness of this moment. There may be someone in this room who's never trusted Christ as Savior. If that's your situation, as the instrument plays our invitation song this morning, if you need to trust in Christ as Savior and talk to somebody about your soul, Pastor Andy's going to be right here in the front. If you come and say, Pastor Andy, I want to talk to somebody. I don't don't want to go to this lake of fire that we read about this morning. I want to know the blessing of heaven and not be afraid of the rapture. If that's your desire, we'd invite you to come. Christian, this morning as we look at the news, look up, our redemption draws nigh. As the instrument plays this morning, if you need to come for salvation, won't you come? And Christian, may God help you to never look at the news without looking in your Bible and recognizing, praying, O oh Lord, how long? How long?
1: If you could look this way briefly as we wrap up this morning. If the Lord was working on your heart from this message today or, or even just different parts of the worship, and there's a lot of ways that we can respond to a message. Obviously, we, we respond personally in our relationship with the Lord. Sometimes we respond by repenting and changing what we do. Um, and sometimes part of that response is asking for help or for counsel. And so there you'll see in front of you there are some response cards, and that gives you the chance that if there's something that the Lord was doing in your heart today that you might want someone to to take god's word and talk to you about Um, you can fill that out and give it to a staff member as you head out or those are offering boxes right in our foyer and you can put those there and we'd be glad to be able to help you with whatever spiritual needs that you're working through right now Um, this has been a great sunday with the heritage sunday and maybe some of you even as you saw the faithfulness of some standing here today are realizing you want to become a member And if that's the case, there is a meeting tonight at 5 o'clock right in the conference room, which is to my left and your right. And you can head there at 5 o'clock today, and we have a meeting for prospective members. As Pastor said earlier, um, going to the meeting does not require you to join, but it is a prerequisite for joining. So if you'd like to be a part of that, feel free to come after the service this morning uh, to that. We don't want to miss the evening service tonight. Um, There's going to be some great moments as we honor some of the faithful servants who have been here for a while, as well as... um, uh, I was looking at my notes, sorry, I messed it up. There we go. Uh, Ephesians. Uh, pastor's message tonight is in Ephesians and it's titled Accepted in the Beloved. Um, also, we have, uh, we've been tallying this up and we actually think we have eight expectant moms in the church, even just right now. Um, the nursery is a huge ministry and a real blessing to the church family, and you might notice as you're walking through the foyer that there's some books uh, at the Welcome Center, some children's books. If you would like to donate some books to the nursery ministry, um, you can purchase one of those there to, to give to the nursery ministry, so feel free to stop by and do that. And then lastly, we just have two announcements about special sign-ups at the Welcome Center. If you've never been a part of one of our Remembrance Sundays, it's a really special time. It's a time where we... Um, honor and and give comfort to those who have lost loved ones during the course of the past couple years. And so you can sign up at the Welcome Center if if that's the situation that you're in, or even if there's somebody else that's going to be here that you know would really appreciate um, acknowledging that moment for them. Um, On Remembrance Sunday. And so that's uh, in two weeks on November 12th. And so you want to make sure to sign up for that. And then lastly, one of the special events of the year is the annual Thanksgiving dinner that we have. We'll have a concert um, and the dinner uh, for that Thanksgiving praise service. And so you want to make sure you sign up at the Welcome Center for that. Uh, Just check out the bulletin, there's a lot more than that. And uh, let's pray as we head out this morning. Lord, thank you so much for this message that we heard for the ways that we are able to praise you today. Lord, we know that you are coming soon. And even as it was said today, Lord, I pray that we would not respond to this with stargazing, but that we would respond by working hard, knowing that you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, I pray that that we would press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much that your word gives us answers to these things. Send us out with your blessing. And Lord, may we come back tonight worshiping you. Uh, enabled by your Holy Spirit. Praise in your name. Amen.